Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Goldcamp, here with my co-host, Jacob Rudner. Jacob, we had the 2022 NFL draft starting Thursday, finishing on Saturday. Pretty light year for Florida by Florida standards. I think three draft picks in total, and that was the fewest for Florida in a decade. Uh, the last time the Florida Gators had that few draft picks was when they had two back in 2012 when only Chris Rainey and Jay Howard were drafted. So I think first and foremost, Jacob, this kind of sets the tone for what Billy Napier is walking into. Obviously, you know, there's a lot to be done here, I think, is the, the first real takeaway. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I think that uh, just with Florida's history and the amount of players it's had drafted in the past, I mean, you even look at first round numbers, for example, Florida's had 13 guys drafted in the first round in the last 10 selections, and that includes Kair Alam, who was taken by the Buffalo Bills at the 23rd overall pick this year. So uh, there's obviously a lot of prestige when it comes to transitioning players from college to the pros at this university. And I don't think anybody is trying to deny that. And so it's honestly, you know, if you're Billy Napier, it's a great starting point. You, it's not too high. Uh, the bar, if anything, is quite low. I mean, three guys drafted, like you said, is, is a historically bad number relative to past drafts as it pertains to Florida players. And granted, Florida has had at least one player selected in every draft i believe since the yeah. modern draft started with one of three schools yeah one of three schools to be able to do that uh and now the number that they have to beat is three and so and 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 i should add by the way that the guys on the roster right now aren't even napier's guys so you know it's it's on him and his coaching staff to be able to elevate the players that they currently have but it certainly is a, a very reasonable starting point i think if you're billy napier looking at that number you go i think i can beat that yeah, and we'll talk about some of this in the second half of the show. I do think there's a lot of guys when you start to go down the roster and look at guys that could potentially be drafted next year, whether it's seniors or underclassmen. You got a pretty big list where you think, okay, that guy's got some potential if this staff can develop him. And again, we'll get to that in the second half of the show. But the bottom line is, look, if Florida wants to be where Florida should be and, and really be competing for championships, you got to be producing more than three NFL draft picks. That's the bottom line. Let's talk about some of the, the individuals here. Um, I don't know if you have any specific thoughts on where the guys went, uh, but Kair Elam in the first round at number 23 to the Buffalo Bills. Uh, Jacob, we've seen some of the, uh, one of my favorite parts of the draft is always when you see the footage, you know, that gets put out from draft night. And obviously yeah. 
he was very emotional with his family that night. But I thought one of the funnier or cooler things was the phone call that he had with with the Bills personnel where, you know, he's like, put the playbook on the uh, on the plane, like put the playbook on the plane. And, you know, I, I've covered Kair for the last three years here at Florida. I remember, uh, you know, the first interaction I really had with him was in the locker room three years ago. It was after a bowl game. Um, so I think it was after one of the now I'm forgetting whether it was the Chick-fil-A or the uh, Sugar Bowl. But we walked into the locker room and, and you know, Florida had just won the game. And Kyrie was basically just like, yeah, I felt like I had a pretty bad year. And this is a guy that played as a freshman and was already looking, you know, to try to get better. Uh, I, I, I don't know what you made of, you know, just what you saw out of Kyrie, but, uh, you know, talking to him at Pro Day, I'm sure you, you come away with the impression that he's a he's a pretty mature guy. Oh, yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I, the way that he carries himself is impressive. Uh, I loved, like you said, the the part where he asked about the playbook. And I don't know if you saw the uh, the clip of him at the Combine when he had an interview with the Bills. He handed over his Florida playbook with his notes and basically said, I, I took notes on every uh, explosive play that I gave up, uh, why I gave it up, uh, notes that I got from opposing wide receivers and things that I thought I did wrong because I learned from all these kinds of things and I love to study and all that. Uh, I thought it was a great pick by the Bills who actually traded up to be able to make it happen. Uh, and so, you know, it, it's a, it's a great landing spot. It's a good defense. Uh, and I, by the way, in a team that is really in the thick of the Super Bowl race at this point, just with a great offense, Josh Allen at quarterback and Stefan Diggs just resigned. You have Von Miller on the defensive front. So yeah, it's a good spot for him. And, you know, based on everything that I was able to see on the pre-draft stuff and the way that he conducted himself throughout this process, I, I was really impressed with him overall. Any thoughts on uh, Zachary Carter going third round to the Cincinnati Bengals and then Damian Pierce went fourth round to the Houston Texans? You know, I, I had been talking to one colleague who had talked to, I guess, an NFL scout who wasn't very high on Damian Pierce and, and sort of had him as a seventh rounder. And I was like, what? I was like, this this is a guy that doesn't have much wear and tear on him. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, can really do it all. Uh, curious what you thought about those two selections. I, I liked both of them. I, I mean, I think that... Uh, for Carter, it's it's another one of those situations where I think it's a good fit. Uh, I think that that's kind of a defense that's going to be able to play to his strengths. He's a versatile defensive lineman who's going to be able to play a couple roles and, and kind of find playing time based on his versatility. And the Bengals are going to find a way to maximize that. I mean, that that's always a good place to be. If you're a guy like Zachary Carter, who when we were at Pro Day, we talked to him and he basically said, I'm not telling teams that I'm more comfortable as an interior and exterior defensive lineman. It's wherever they need me. And I'll, you know put myself in a position from a physical standpoint and a mental standpoint to be able to succeed either way. And so that's good anywhere. And I think that that makes you a guy who's, you know, somebody who has a chance at least to succeed uh, in any defense that you end up in. And then with Pierce, uh, I, I mean, he's going to have an opportunity to compete for RB one positioning directly into his rookie year. I mean, that that's a situation that's pretty favorable for a running back. And it sounds like the Texans it would agree with you that a seventh round evaluation is a, uh, is a little low. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just, to me, I, for one, I've not seen a pass-blocking running back as good as Damian Pierce in the decade long that I've been doing this full-time at Florida. I mean, he is really, really good. Um, when he came into Florida, was not a good pass catcher at all. Uh, I remember watching him in practices back when that was a thing before COVID, uh, when we'd yeah. go out there to spring practice and stuff like that. And man, the guy had hands of stone. I'm not, I'm not lying to you. LaMichael P. Ryan was a, a really, really good pass catching back. But uh, honestly, even Malik Davis wasn't that great of a pass catcher early on. And that was something that, you know, Damian Pierce and Malik Davis really, really developed as they sort of grew into things. And um, 
I, I think he's going to be a great fit there. Going back to, I guess, Florida, you know, sort of being down on talent a little bit. I will say, I think part of that this year was in part because two of the guys that were maybe borderline draftable guys in Jeremiah Moon and Malik Davis both had injury histories. I think if you take away the injury history from either of those guys, they probably get drafted. But Jeremiah Moon's a guy that, you know, has had repeated foot issues throughout his his Florida career. Uh, Malik Davis has had multiple knee injuries. Uh, as well as, I believe, a broken foot at one point. So, you know, those are those are things that, you know, you look on paper talent-wise, those are guys that probably can carve out a role in the NFL if they can stay healthy. I think teams generally just try to avoid, you know, guys that have two, three, you know, major injuries that have kept right. them off the field. Um, right. No, there's no doubt. Jacob, one thing I, I sort of picked up on, and I don't know, you can tell me maybe if this is just my perception, but it seems like, from a marketing standpoint, and maybe this is a product of Florida having sort of a down year in the draft itself, but it seems like more of the pitch from the UF side of things coming out of the draft has been sort of look at what our assistants have done in terms of developing guys other places. Yeah, and I I don't think that that's a bad strategy at all. I think that there are two main factors. The first is it's not a good look, even if Florida had an explosive draft and they had you know, let's say seven, eight players selected or more uh, for this staff to lay any claim on those players, I think is a bad look. They didn't do anything to develop those guys. They didn't recruit them to Florida. They were not at any point their responsibility. And so from a, from a university pride standpoint, I would understand obviously touting your draft right. picks because they came through the school. But to a degree, I think that there is a level of smartness that, that occurs when the staff goes, okay, let's be proud of the guys who have graduated the program, who are now in the NFL. They are forever Florida alumni, and we're going to celebrate that as its own thing. But we also need to be able to play up the fact that we have assistants or even a head coach on staff who also, in their own right, were very successful getting guys to the next level. Because at the end of the day, you know, Past success is, is great, and having program alumni is great, especially nowadays when we're in this market of you know, being able to maintain a relationship with the guys who have come through your program and using them as financial resources. It's a huge deal. At the same time, though, for the coaching staff to say anything along the lines of, these are our guys, well, they're not. You, you didn't do anything with them. Now, they did do an amazing job, however, of laying claim to the guys that they deserve to lay claim to. Kerry Colbert was at the draft with Drake London. Uh, you know, that's, that's a huge deal. You're able to basically say, that's my guy. I trained him when he was at USC. I was his coach. Uh, here, here he is now. Look at what he's done. Corey Raymond was there with Derek Stingley. He was able to say, here's a guy who I've trained. Look at how well he's done. And put in a gator chomp in a video in the process. In, including, right, great marketing. And so there, it, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think, honestly, it capitalizes on an opportunity to play to the individual strengths that the Gators might have on staff. Uh, and, and that, at the end of the day, is a good move because it doesn't cross the line, in my opinion, of, of trying to take credit for something that isn't yours to take credit for while also being able to play up the strengths of what you might actually have in the building. Yeah, and I think if you're you know, looking at it from a sales pitch standpoint, you kind of luck into Florida only having three draft picks and then saying, hey, well, guess what? We produced two at Louisiana. And that's right. a place that, you know, you look on paper recruiting-wise, we had a lot less to work with. So, you know, we did develop these guys like uh, Max Mitchell and, and uh, the safety over there, Percy, was it Percy Butler? 
Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you know, and those two fourth round guys, that's that's pretty decent for Louisiana. You look at, you know, Rob Sales history. He's had three draft picks now uh, of guys that have come out of Louisiana on the offensive line. And I guess, you know, with Max Mitchell, you can give Darnell Stapleton credit for his final year of development. So you've got, you know, between the two Florida O-line coaches, three draft picks out of Louisiana now. Osiris Torrance, probably going to be a fourth. Um, so you you really can sell sort of, no, you know, Florida's not quite where it needs to be, but, you know, we can develop guys. And we've shown that. And I think that's kind of the angle that, that you know, Florida has taken. And I think from here, you can you can sort of sell, hey, you know, our task is to get this back up to where Florida's having seven, eight draft picks, you know, in a given year. And I think the potential has always been there to do that. It'll be curious to see how well this staff does sort of selling that not only on the recruiting trail, but also with the current players. Because I think that the current player buy-in is going to be in, as important as anything. Of course. Yeah. I mean, you, if you're, it's just as important to have the guys who you have in house behind you, just the same way that you want to ramp things up on the recruiting end and bring in talent. And I would also say, and, and this is, you know, kind of a convenient segue into the other thing we're going to talk about right now. And that's, it's also important in the transfer portal. You're able to market, you know, you might not feel player X might not feel like you had the opportunity to maximize your talents or putting yourself on track to have a professional career and get drafted. Well, look at what we did. We have, a first round wide receiver. We have a first round defensive back. Uh, we have guys who were able to recruit and make these players who were at Louisiana draft picks in the fourth round, who they're going to go have a professional career now on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. Uh, that's important. And, yeah. and especially on the market for transfers, because yes, people who are listening to this, I'm sure the immediate reaction is, well, what about NIL? Of course it's important, but, but, but there's also a degree to which you're trying to attract transfers based on, I have an opportunity for you on the field and I have an opportunity for you basically in the classroom. I'm going to be able to teach you something that you weren't able to do at your last school, something that you might need to do to unlock something for your future. And that's where you're going to find it here. And here's my proof. I was able to do this with this guy and this with this guy. And so I, I think that the way that they marketed it was really important. And like you said, it's going to be about now, how are they able to, parlay that into buy-in with the guys that they have in-house? How are they able to utilize that to their advantage with high school recruits that they're trying to get committed? And then how are they going to be able to utilize that on the transfer market? All right, Jacob. Well, that uh, that does segue us pretty nicely into the second half of the show. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back on the other side, we'll discuss some of the players that might be a good fit for the 2023 NFL draft out of Florida, whether that be seniors or potentially underclassmen that could play their way into NFL draft status, and then we'll talk about the transfer portal because we've had some major deadlines here. And uh, frankly, I think the expectations at Florida have maybe shifted a little bit. So we'll get to that right after this commercial break. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got 
got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Jacob Rudner. Jacob, looking forward to the 2023 NFL draft class. I think there's a lot of unknowns for Florida. And one of the biggest question marks is what kind of talent is left on this roster. And when we talk about the recruiting woes that that Dan Mullen had at Florida, um, where sort of this is one of the reasons why he ended up getting fired at Florida was the trajectory, you couldn't make a clear case that the trajectory was going to continue going up based on his recruiting. And so that begs the obvious question, well, how much talent is sort of left on this roster? And in the context of the 2023 NFL draft, I think there's at least a couple guys that we can circle. And so maybe we'll do that first. I'll I'll ask you, now that you've been out there for spring, you've seen the spring game, who are some guys on the current roster that you circle right away as this guy is maybe a likely NFL draft pick next year? Yeah, immediate guys that come to mind are Jervon Dexter, Anthony Richardson, and Osiris Torrance. I would say that those are my three. If I had to pick guys to get drafted right now and feel really confident about me saying that, those are my three picks. I think that Dexter answers all the questions by himself, and I don't think it really needs much explanation. He had a phenomenal spring. He was a former top recruit, looked great. Uh, you know, continues to improve even, and this is after he's looked already impressive at the college level. So for all of those reasons, I think that that's an easy pick. Anthony Richardson, uh, you and I talked about on this podcast quite a bit. We were having questions about how things were going in the spring. Based on the observation window that we had, there were some accuracy problems. We were wondering if he was really going to pan out the way that we thought he had the potential to do. And then all of a sudden we get to the spring game and the guy looks incredible. So I would say that if he keeps on that, track he's got a really good chance to be drafted i think the question will be can he actually maximize his draft potential this upcoming season it's not that he wouldn't get picked if he decided to go is it would he benefit from another year in college i think that's a legitimate question but i do think he's a safe bet to get picked if he wanted to be and then osiris torrance you mentioned him in the first half of the show just a, a fundamentally sound offensive lineman has some serious playing experience under his belt now he's going to get to go prove it basically in the sec and with a reasonably successful season, I think that he should also be kind of a shoe in considering the draft status of some of his former teammates who never had the exposure of, of SEC football. So those, those are my three easy ones. And I'm sure that you could make an argument that there could be more, 
but but for the sake of safety, I'll stick with the three. Well, no, and the interesting thing about those three is, you know, I, I think Torrance is probably more of the proven one, like you said. I, I think, you know, he's a guy that could have come out in this draft and probably been drafted. But I think what I hear with, you know, Anthony Richardson and Javon Dexter is they're so athletically talented that they're going to be drafted no matter what, just based on that potential. But they can really cement themselves by sort of taking that next step to being an every down SEC type sort of contributor, right? And that's the part where we don't really know, right? Will Will Anthony Richardson be a guy that can do what he did in the spring game consistently? Or, you know, is he going to have that sort of growing curve where, you know, as teams get tape on him, maybe there's some things that come up. But there's no question about the athletic ability of either Anthony Richardson or Javon Dexter. I mean, both of those guys get drafted on athletic ability alone even if they probably go through four years of college and aren't super productive. I mean, they're just off-the-page athletes, right? Um, I think the, the 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 more interesting part is when we were going through and, and I was going through and sort of looking at the roster and kind of looking at guys that might get drafted or could play their way into draftability, I've got a lot of names that are like, you know, I for sure wouldn't bet on them being drafted if the, the 2023 draft was right now. But I'm looking at it, and there's a lot of guys that have some potential to play their way into NFL draft picks. I mean, Justin Shorter, you know, maybe needs to get a little bit more consistent catching the football. But, I mean, athletically, he looks the part. Um, Lorenzo Lingard, kind of, you know, another one of those super athlete guys that just, you know, only has 16 carries in his last two years at Florida. So you can't sit here now and say, you know, he's a guy that gets drafted. But, I mean... Jacob, you and I heard throughout the spring that he was phenomenal. And unfortunately, we didn't get to see it in the spring game because he tweaked his hamstring. But, you know, I think he's a guy that, you know, with the right work ethic and, and the right attitude, I think he's a guy that can play his way into the mix. Yeah, I do too. I think that the biggest problem for Lingard is honestly just going to be reps again. I think that he absolutely has the potential. And we were able to see that, I think, in the limited window that we got during practices. I think we began to understand that from the people who we were talking to who were at the full length of a practice. And like you said, I think we expected fully to be able to see that ourselves at the spring game. And the only thing that stood in the way of that was it was a minor injury that prevented him from playing. But at, at the same time, though, you have to wonder how Florida's feeling about that running back room and who are some of the other guys who might eat up carries. I mean, Montreal Johnson had a, had a great spring. Uh, Naquan Wright's a guy who is going to probably demand some attention out of the backfield. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and that's not even including the freshmen that they're going to have on the roster who probably are also ready and good enough to be able to take some carries. Although at this point with the depth that they have in that room, Florida could probably safely just say, you can take a red shirt. You'll appear in four games and call it a season. And I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me at the same time though, even if that happens, you have to wonder, does Lingard get enough field time to play his way into the seven round format? Mm -hmm. I don't know about that. I think he has the potential to, certainly, but I think it might be a little bit too crowded for him. All right. Well, Brenton Cox is a guy that we hadn't talked about, and he's actually sort of, in my opinion, the, the flip side of, you know, the raw argument with Anthony Richardson and uh, Trevon Dexter. I mean, he's got all the tools athletically. The problem for him, in my opinion, is more so that he needs to put on tape, you know, now being a guy that's been in college for a while, he needs to put on tape the thing that he hasn't yet which is a little bit more discipline on the edge. And so that that's going to be an interesting one to me because it, you, you kind of see it over the years as, as guys go through. You know, the NFL draft, a team will take a chance on a guy that maybe doesn't have a ton of tape but has a ton of athletic potential. On the flip side, if you have a guy that has a ton of athletic skill and ability, 
but he can't do something, you know, like setting the edge consistently, that becomes an issue. So this is almost a, a year where, to me, he's got to prove it or lose it. Yeah. No, I, I think there's no doubt about that. I think you could say the same thing for Ventral Miller in a way. I think that Ventral Miller needs to be able to go out there and prove himself that he is worthy of a draft selection. And again, I think I want to make something clear here. You and I aren't saying that these guys aren't pros. I think all of the guys who we're mentioning are at minimum undrafted free agent caliber players because sure. they're worth a shot. I mean, if you're talking about guys who have the athleticism and the potential to get somewhere, those are the types of guys that teams are going to be more comfortable saying, okay, we're going to pay you minimalistically. We're going to give you a shot on the roster and we'll see what you can do and turn and, and turn it into. That's very common. I think what we're talking about here is can they elevate it one step further and put themselves into the draft conversation? And that's where you start to have questions about a guy like Cox and Ventral Miller. And you go, are you going to be disciplined enough or consistent enough or stay healthy enough to be able to prove yourself over a span of games where scouts and teams are going, yeah, that's a guy who we want to take a shot on. I don't, obviously, if the draft was right now, like you said, and I think it was a good point, probably not for a lot of these guys that we're now mentioning. However, based on potential, Lingard, Cox, Ventrell, uh, and, and others, what can you do with it? And so I think that, that those two guys, Cox and Miller, are, are really good candidates for that category of like, if you maximize a full season and it goes really well for you, how high can you soar in the draft? And I think that the answer is, is quite frankly, it's pretty decent potential. Yeah, and I, uh, so we talked to Brenton this spring. And he told us the feedback he got last year when he when he sought feedback from the NFL draft. Or yeah, I guess when he got NFL draft feedback, he was hearing fourth round. So you know he's a guy that if he doesn't show that ability to set the edge, maybe he drops down the board. But if he does, you know he can play his way up. Um, I'm gonna put you on the spot a little bit, and if you don't have an answer, that's fine. Is there anybody that we haven't talked, maybe off the radar, that you could see as like a dark horse, really having a strong year and playing his way into the draft? That's a good question. Um, off the top of my head, I don't think so, but I am going to be really curious to see if Florida can add anybody in the transfer portal, and I'll get into Fair. the names yep. of who they're talking to in a second. Um, if they can add some of the players who we have confirmed they're having conversations with, yes. Um, okay. I'm going to come back to you on that in just a second. I'm going to throw okay. two names out there for fans that I think you need to circle. Kingsley at center. I'm not even going to try the last name. I'm terrible at it. But Kingsley, I think, could have like a really, walking. really big... Yeah, I, he told us, and I, it's still, I've said it like 18 different ways, and I don't want to get it wrong, so I'm just going to say Kingsley, I think, is a guy that the staff is really, really high on. He's got a year starting experience at center in the SEC already, and I love his mentality. I forget. Uh, I think it was Coach Chaos, uh, you know, Coach Sean Spencer on the defensive line that told us he's got that NFL mentality, that sort of get after you mindset. I think he's a guy that could play his way into, you know, maybe even the middle rounds of the draft. And then Princely Uman Mielin. I don't know. I might have said that wrong, too. Princely. Princely and Kingsley. Yeah, I know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I think Princely's a guy that you, if you look at it, if Brenton Cox is able to step up, if Javon Dexter has the kind of year he's capable of. He's a guy on the other side that's going to benefit from a lot of single, you know, single blocking type schemes where I think he could have a really big year. But Jacob, the, the more important thing is obviously, I think right now for Florida fans, the transfer portal. We had the May 1st deadline and granted, we're not entirely past that deadline yet because programs, once they're informed that a player wants to go into the NCAA transfer portal, have two business days 
to officially put his name in. So theoretically, we could still have some transfer portal news here in the next day or two. But I think what we're hearing is that Florida's not going to have anywhere close to the movement that we thought maybe earlier in the spring. Um, yes, and that goes both ways. Uh, there is not going to be as much departure action as we had initially thought there would be, especially with Florida currently coming in over the scholarship limit of 85 players. Uh, that's the first thing. And the second is that I think that we're not going to see as much of a, an addition through the transfer portal for Florida. And Billy Napier confirmed as much during his speaking tour stop in Lakeland. He basically said, uh, we are going to do our due diligence. We are going to look through the portal. We're going to have the conversations, but we don't feel like we necessarily need to be super aggressive. And that was a pretty dramatic change of pace on the tone from basically two weeks earlier on April 9th, he explicitly said, we need to be aggressive in the transfer portal. Uh, and he talked about how they don't have uh, great depth on the roster. I think the quote was exactly, we have a solid group of ones. We have some decent twos. And after that, we're looking for talent. And so that is a pretty different uh, tone to set in comparison to, we're going to look, but it's not a priority. Right. And we're going to figure it out. And now, one thing that he did say is that part of that is because they feel confident about where they're at in the 2023 recruiting class on the high school side. And you take up scholarships through the portal, you lose scholarships on the high school end. And so that is a factor. There's no doubt about it. So I think that it's pretty obvious that one of two things needs to happen here. The first is there needs to be some action on the high school side to basically justify, hey, we're not going to go after guys in the portal right now because we need to save those scholarships for the high school kids we want and we feel like and and this there's truth to this by the way where you know if you're billy napier you feel like there's a degree to which transfers are kind of temporary solutions whereas high school kids are permanent solutions to problems so that that is an element um but we're gonna have to see how this works out and and i will add before i, I throw it back to you on on your thoughts i will add that there is the ability for players to transfer after may 1st and still gain immediate eligibility. Uh, it just requires a waiver from the NCAA, and that is fairly easy to obtain. There are a list of reasons why players can receive a waiver, one of which, by the way, and I think that this is important, is if the coaching staff calls a kid up and says, hey, we need to have a meeting with you, kid goes to the office and they say, listen, we don't have any playing time for you. Uh, we're stacked at your position. We think that you should look elsewhere. All that kid has to do is call up the NCAA and say, they're pushing me out. They're yeah. telling me I need to leave. It's an instant waiver. It's one of several reasons, I believe, that almost immediately qualifies. So it's not like the transfer portal has stopped. It's not like we're out of that yet. I think that there is going to be a lot of time to see how things shake out on the high school and the transfer recruiting in because there are still guys who they're talking to. And then we might see the departures. Yeah, I think, uh, okay, so first off, let me clear up from a number standpoint as well, since you mentioned numbers. Florida, I have them at 88 scholarships right now. So initially the thinking was if Florida was going to take four, maybe five, six transfers in the portal, you were going to need to see like 10 guys leave. We're not at that place anymore, obviously. I think, you know, Florida's probably only looking at one, two, maybe three transfers max. And you don't necessarily need transfers out to get that 85 number by fall camp. You're going to have some guys that maybe have been injured throughout their career. We saw Gage Wilcox take a medical hardship in the spring. You'll have some guys that are probably encouraged to graduate, maybe look elsewhere, um, but you can get down to the 85 number pretty easily. Um, the other number is Florida was at 24 in the signing class, uh, including transfers in. So 
they can't replace up to seven guys that transfer out beyond the 25 cap. Um, so numbers really aren't an issue, I don't think, as much as we maybe thought they would be. Um, but the bottom line is, like you said, Jacob, I think Florida's being a lot more selective. I do think that they feel good about the 23 class. Um, but, you know, Florida is talking to a couple guys. So I know that one of them that they've been talking to is an Arizona State receiver, Ricky Pearsall, that you've talked to. Can you give us a quick update on where things are at with him? Yeah, so things are things are headed in a generally positive direction at the moment for Florida. I think that his visit went really well. I spoke to his father, Rick Pearsall, on Sunday. We're recording this on a Monday afternoon. And he basically said that the trip blew them away. The hospitality, the facilities all of the things that they were able to talk about with the coaching staff, everything came away as positive. I think the biggest challenge for Florida is going to be that he still has plans to make other visits. And that's going to be to Auburn, Oregon, Utah, and Notre Dame. Uh, I do think based on my conversations with a couple people that there is a possibility that two of those remaining four visits get taken off the list and he tries to accelerate his decision. And if that's the case, Florida's in a really good spot because Florida's already received its visit. It's not at danger of, of being cut from the list at this point. And so Florida, I would say, is in the running firmly for Ricky Pearsall. The other player who Florida is talking to right now is former Arizona State defensive lineman Jermaine Lole. Now, the biggest difference between Lole and Pearsall. Pearsall, my perception is that he's really looking for playing time. He wants to go be developed. He's looking for a situation where he can be plugged in and be a primary target on a team's offense. And if there are NIL opportunities that come along within that. So school calls and says, hey, we have a major opportunity at wide receiver. Plus, we have opportunities for you on the financial front. That would be the order in which I think he's looking at things. Jermaine Lole, on the other hand, entered the portal specifically for NIL opportunities. He wants to explore his market. Uh, that was reported by Sun Devil Source, the 24-7 page, uh, at Arizona State. And, and so I think that Florida has had conversations with him, uh, but Florida needs to keep in mind that this is a financial decision. I also know that Lole is interested in returning potentially to Arizona State if the Sun Devils can, around the program, figure out some sort of NIL deal for him. Jacob, any other transfer portal thoughts or anything we need to be aware of as we close here? I I, I I think that Florida is in a position where it does need to make some movement. I think it would be a, an interesting turn of events to go from we need to be aggressive to landing nobody. And I think that they are aware of that, which is the reason behind them still pursuing guys. Um, and, and, you know, as I said before, and I think you also said it too, it's fine if you're not going to be super aggressive and take 10 guys from the portal but you also then definitely need to be super aggressive and successful on the high school side. So mm -hmm. I don't think that these are things that the program isn't aware of. I think that the coaching staff is actually acutely aware of its need to be successful in both capacities and to handle the situation over the next several months, you know, in, in, in maximize their opportunities. And the thing I would say to people who are listening to our podcast though, is be patient. I would say, let's, you know, wait until August, uh, you know, late July, and then let's take a look at what the roster looks like. Who was added? Who was subtracted? And the 23 uh, class, too. Yeah. And that's exactly what I was going to say, is, is who's committed. And at that point, I think it's probably going to be healthiest to really give an assessment. I think right now it's a little premature. Yeah, I do think you can make a reasonable case that I think Florida might have expected a little bit more to be in the portal, combined with the fact that I don't know that anybody 
fully anticipated how quickly NIL would become such a big part of the equation. And the reason I say that is obviously we've talked about Florida missing on uh, Daryl Jackson out of Maryland. That was NIL related. But I think the combination of those two things has maybe, you know, sort of been part of the reason that the Gators haven't been as active in the transfer portal and are not looking to turn things over as much as we maybe thought they would. And in that sense, maybe Florida should have been a little bit more aggressive in the fall window. But you got to remember, there were so many things going on for this staff. And that doesn't that doesn't excuse any misses. It won't you know, won't save them if this roster has major holes next fall. Um, but, you know, there was a lot going on when Billy Napier took over the job. They did do a pretty good job of landing some high profile high school recruits like Kamari Wilson, like Shamar James. So to your point, I think um, I think that I can understand where some recruiting fans would have some concerns. And I get that. I also think, you know, like you said, let's let's regroup maybe in a month, in two months, continue to update. And if and look, if these high school prospects end up not on the board at Florida and going elsewhere and you still have issues, then trust me, we'll be the first to have some concerns. But I do think, you know, I think being measured in the approach to the transfer portal and not just taking guys just to take guys is there's something to be said for that too. So that'll do it for today's episode of the Swamp 24-7 podcast, guys. We're, We're running out of time here. So we do appreciate you tuning in. If you like the podcast, be sure to hit like and subscribe on YouTube. And if you're listening on audio only platform, be sure to leave us a favorable review helps us reach more Gator fans, and we obviously appreciate the support. That'll do it for us today, guys. Thank you for tuning in. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.